ATX Ahead, presented by the Austin Business Journal, exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Brought to you by Google Fiber Business. Keep your customers and employees connected. And by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders. I'm Colin Pope, editor of the Austin Business Journal. As Austin continues to grow into a big city, we're now the 10th largest by population in the U.S. The Austin Business Journal's Austin Icon series rolls on. We're checking in with some of the beloved businesses that make this town what it is. The long timers like Matzo Rancho, Straight Music, Waterloo Records, and Deep Eddy Cabaret. The kinds of mom and pop shops that keep us weird and the kinds of businesses we need to keep for our reputation as one of the best and most unique cities on earth. So I've got with me today, Mike Kristen and Sahar Shamez. They are two reporters at the Austin Business Journal. And uh, it's a group effort over here to cover these Austin icons. But Sahar, you've written the most Austin icon stories so far, and you've checked in with these long timers for many months now. And I was wondering if you've kind of observed any patterns that you see in these longtime successful businesses. Sure, Colin. I think one of the biggest things that stands out to me is the uh, family ties that we see in these businesses where they're transferring from one generation to the next. Now, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but I think that's probably one of the biggest things that stood out over the series. You know, take Peter Pan Mini Golf, take uh, Twin Liquors, which has been in the family for three generations going into the fourth, I believe. And then we have straight music, Matt's El Rancho, Black's Barbecue, also looking at, you know, bringing in potentially the six-year-olds of the family who already learn how to make barbecue at such a young age. Those, I think, having that family involvement looks like a big theme so far. And kudos to them because there's uh, widely reported statistics on the success of family businesses. For instance, only 30% of them are passed on from the first generation to the second generation. And then only 12% of them make it to the third generation. And then so it blows my mind when we talk about a place like Black's Barbecue, for instance, where they are on, you know, looking at their fourth generation of ownership. I've looked, there are no statistics on how many businesses make it to the fourth generation because it's so minuscule. So uh, yeah, again, kudos to these companies for having these succession plans. When you're talking to the business owners about these succession plans and getting their kids involved, I look at a place like uh, Black's Barbecue, for instance, let's talk about that one. Each generation, do they jump at the chance to run Black's Barbecue? It seems like a pretty cool gig to me. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Black's uh, Barbecue really talked about this and how basically no one really wanted to pass on the legacy because they were like, no, this is not a job that you can make a lot of money from. Join a white collar type of job. (laughs) Go into accounting, go into the law field. But at the end of the day, somehow they kept jumping back into the barbecue business. And I think just in recent years, barbecue has become a really cool, popular niche in food. So kudos to them for sticking so long with it. And I think the other side of that is just, I love 
seeing that this wasn't really like a, a forced transition on anyone's end. And even the fourth generation pit master right now, he's with his son, the six-year-old, he's like, I'm going to teach him how to make barbecue, but I don't want him to feel like he needs to join when he's older. And it was the right. same thing uh, for Barrett, who is the fourth generation pit master. And it was the same thing for Kent Black, who's the current owner and the third generation pit master. I've had the opportunity to talk to the people who own a lot of these businesses and then just a lot of other family businesses that may or may not be Austin icons. And one of the best pieces of advice that they offer to their kids and to other people, you know, families running businesses is when it's time to start looking at that next generation, probably not the best idea to just pull them straight in. A lot of families mandate that before you come and work for the family business, you've got to go out and have a, a different job somewhere out there for, you know, a year or two maybe even with a competitor, but just so that they understand what it's like working for somebody else. And, you know, they just get some experience rather than having your whole professional life and social and, and private life with the same restaurant or shop or company. Yeah. I mean, you can also see that in Twin Liquors. I've interviewed other business owners who've shared that similar sentiment, but yeah, uh, I've heard it a lot where you should go out, diversify, get external knowledge and see what you can add to the business instead of just, I guess, keeping your sphere small. So right. yeah, you're right about that. Very good. And uh, Mike, one of our recent stories that you wrote on an Austin icon was about Waterloo Records. And I thought the ending was interesting because we got into their succession plan. And, you know, Waterloo Records, a beloved downtown Austin record shop, been there for, what, 50 years or so. At Waterloo, what did you discover? Do they have kids to take it over? Or who's going to run that business after John Coombs is ready to retire? Yeah, so after speaking with John, our understanding now is that he hopes to have the business itself so take over so I, when i say that i mean the employees so he hopes that management will continue to stay at the business okay. he celebrates having uh folks there that are close to him for decades at a time i think some of his longest running managers have been there for 30 almost 40 years and his hope for the business as he slowly um, steps away from it he's about 72 now what he intends to do is have those folks take over the business, sort of use their expertise that they've built for years and years working there and really uh, continue to to keep the operation going. So he'll pass it on to maybe his professional family, mm -hmm. not his exactly. relatives. Uh, pretty neat. Well, speaking of Waterloo, that's probably not even their biggest challenge that they're facing in the foreseeable future. Uh, what else did you find out about um, what's facing that beloved business in the coming years? Yeah, so the largest challenge at Waterloo is really real estate. Waterloo, a beloved record shop, they've been open for the better part of uh, four decades at the same location, which is right at the intersection of North Lamar Boulevard, as well as uh, West 6th Street. So the, the specific address, I think it's uh, 600 North Lamar Boulevard. That site was actually purchased by one of the largest real estate groups working here in Austin. That's Endeavor Real Estate. And effectively, Endeavor bought that site in uh, 2019. And since then, they've been planning on redeveloping that site, uh, effectively going vertical, which is what we're seeing a lot of that real estate really close to downtown throughout the city. And John's been aware of this for several years. Uh, Endeavor was initially planning to do that probably around 2021. But of course, the pandemic kind of threw them for a loop. And, and now they're looking at maybe more within the next three years now.
to move forward with that. So effectively what happens is, is Waterloo is faced with this decision of, of trying to figure out what they want to do next. So they're going to have to relocate when that redevelopment occurs. They have been given an opportunity to return back to that site. John says he's got a really great relationship with the folks at Endeavor, but um, ultimately it's kind of it's still up in the air what the future of Waterloo holds as far as where it'll be and uh, where customers can find them. Gotcha. Well, good luck to them. That can, you know, especially when you're just a one a one shop shop. Uh, we've seen it in the past how a move can kind of be a nail in the coffin. You you know, your customers lose sight of where you're at or you lose, you know, that walk by business that you had. Hopefully Waterloo is able to counter all that because kind of it's one of those it's one of those brands that transcends a location. Like I think I got a feeling that people from the suburbs drive into town just to go to Waterloo Records. So and that real estate, that is probably uh, one of the uh, common threads of threats as we talk about these Austin icons. One of our recent icons, actually, Mike, if I can keep you on the hook and talk about Deep Eddie Cabaret, a beloved little bar down there on, uh, I think it's Lake Austin Boulevard. Tell me about their real estate situation, because I think that they've got it just about as good as any of these Austin icons can have it. That's right. So Deep Eddie, uh, which is owned by uh, Will Bridges, who has a number of local businesses here in Austin that are really celebrated. He's also one of the names behind Antone's, the blues club here that's very revered and really a part of the, the music culture. But uh, specifically for that site or for the cabaret, which is a, a local bar here, really a dive bar. That site is in the process of receiving uh, historical designation on the local level. So Will's been working together with uh, some local folks on getting that historic designation, and he's going through that application process right now. And really the intention behind that is to ensure that that establishment stays unchanged for generations to come. So Will, he's an Austin local. He went to the high school that's just a, a few blocks from where that bar is now. And it's really his goal to make sure that that site remains unchanged for as long as possible. And a part of that is uh, securing that designation. But that also comes with some benefits, having that historic designation. So if he receives it, he'll be eligible for some grant funding, both on the local and state levels. Okay. So if he needs to do any renovations to that building and basically keep it standing uh, the way it is for as long as possible, he can access or has a chance to have access to some external funds just outside of his business. So that's a big reason why he's pursuing that. ATX Ahead, presented by Google Fiber Business. Keep your customers and employees connected with Google Fiber Business. Plans up to two gigs, no annual contracts, no data caps, and no hidden fees. Learn more about G Fiber Business in Austin at fiber.google.com slash business. And by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders, providing trusted financial advisory services to entrepreneurs, family business owners, and financial sponsors for more than 20 years. One of the things that I love about reading your stories on these Austin icons is they're filled with tips and tricks that can be applicable to other businesses out there, even if I'm just starting up a shop or a restaurant. For instance, on the Waterloo Records, one thing I was fascinated about was how they called it a guerrilla tactic. One of the ways that this little record store has always competed with the big box stores and bigger stores and online is that 
if I get a Target gift card for Christmas, I can bring that Target gift card into Waterloo Records and spend that money just like it's cash. So they accept, uh, you know, everybody's gift cards. The owner says, I implore everybody, you know, to, to do this because it's just another way to get money into your doors. Sahara, I want to know, let's go back over to Black's Barbecue. What's their trick for not running out of beef and brisket and sausage and, and all that good stuff throughout the day? How can they keep their inventory at just the right levels? I, you know, if they have a busy lunch, you might assume that they're going to run out uh, of dinner fairly quick in the evening, but they never do that. What's the secret to their success? Yeah. And uh, especially that they sell about a million pounds of beef annually. That is a lot to keep up with. And traffic can differ on many days of the week. You know, it could be dependent on weather. It could be dependent on even people's diets. But I think one of the biggest things that they've learned to balance is that they cook their beef about 70% of the way the day before. And then on that day, you know, they kind of are able to gauge how many people are coming in. What what does our day look like? So that 70% par cooking allows for which the is probably like a seven hour process right there that's oh yeah right yeah that's it's yeah it's a lengthy lengthy process that not only allows the meats to soak in the wonderful smoke and seasonings but it also gives them room and the flexibility to be able to just fully cook it that same day in a couple of hours. And again, it helps them gauge how many customers are going to be coming in and how much they need to prepare, especially as they operate across four locations. And then, for example, like the Austin location on Guadalupe, they don't have smokers there. So they definitely need to prepare ahead of time for that demand. Fascinating how these businesses uh, have refined their operations uh, literally over the decades, and and they've really got a lot of um, a lot of lessons that that people can learn from. And it's been my experience that these business owners of these popular brands are very accessible. I think uh, you know, for instance, the the owners of Black's Barbecue have learned some things from Matzo Rancho, for instance, and and maybe they you know they've talked. In fact, you had a neat vignette there. What was that about the owners of Blacks went to Matzo Rancho and they were really impressed by by the way they operated? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I thought it was actually, it was cute to me to hear, you know, different people who I've interviewed for Austin Icons bridging each other through these decades of connections. Kent Black was telling me how uh, when he and his wife used to visit Matt's El Rancho, and at the time when Matt and Janie were running the restaurant, Matt and Janie would come around to the tables, say hello to everybody, ask them how the food is. And I think Kent picked that hospitality up from them because he would say, the food is always good, but on our drive home, when the owners of the restaurant greeted us, that's what stuck. That's what my wife and I would talk about on our drive home. And he's implemented that across his restaurants where he likes to go out and greet people and talk to them. And, you know, most of the time people will be like, the food is great. We love it here. And there's always room to learn from those who might say, oh, you know what, like the brisket was cold today or whatever it may be. I think he not only does he cherish the positive comments, but he likes to take note of the things that could be improved. Uh, But all of that brings that really wonderful hospitality together. That's great. 
So, Mike, I want to go back to you real quick and let a cat out of the bag if we can. I know you had an interview recently with Dan's Hamburgers. We're going to publish an Austin Icon story on that longtime uh, burger shop here. Give us a quick status update. Dan's Hamburgers, how's it doing and does it have staying power to be with us for the years to come? Most certainly. I mean, the short answer to that is yes, effectively. So Dan's, uh, much like some of the other businesses we mentioned earlier, are a part of that family legacy of seeing, you know, generation by generation, the business continue. Right now, they're in their second generation, I'd say. Uh, Katie Cogden, a CEO, and her father, Dan, started the business back in the early 50s. And with that in mind, I'd say the business in itself is sort of in a transition point because it has four longstanding locations here in Austin and those locations are doing very well, but it's just changing its business model a little bit. So instead of that dine-in, sit-down, diner style that Dan's has been known for in the past, we're seeing more of a transition to the drive-through model that a lot of businesses... Um, P. Terry's. P. Terry's is big on that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's another local example, right? So Dan's is more focused more in that direction. Uh, they also have a location down in Buda that's been open for, I believe, close to two decades now. And that site has seen a lot of great business and continues to grow. And that's inspired the leadership at the company to start looking for other locations across the metro and specifically a little bit further out from the more central locations that we see that Dan's currently has. So uh, what Katie Congdon tells me is that they're planning on opening up a, another location north of town, so north of downtown, so in more of the residential at Cedar Park or Pflugerville areas in the years to come. Uh, that should be welcome news to folks in the suburbs. They love when these Austin icons branch out and, and go out there. And we're seeing a lot of that, too. The, the closures uh, that we have when a long-timer closes down, that makes a lot of noise, rightfully. Some tears are shed. But there also are a lot of success stories out there, and I'm happy to be sharing, uh, well, frankly, both kinds. Recently, we're, we learned that we're losing Highland Lanes, which I think we could classify as an Austin icon. We will never be able to keep them all but we're doing our best over at the Business Journal to give them a fighting chance by connecting them with people who can help and learn from them. So continue your great reporting, Mike and Sahar, and I want to thank you for your time today, and I want to thank our audience for joining us for another ATX Ahead podcast. ATX Ahead, presented by the Austin Business Journal, exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Brought to you by Google Fiber Business. Keep your customers and employees connected. And by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders.